the Farm Advisory Service podcast. Audio advice on livestock, crops and soils, environment, rural business and more. Brought to you in association with the Scottish Government. Hello and welcome to this Farm Advisory Service Livestock Podcast. This podcast is designed to give producers up-to-date information on all things relating to livestock. It's been funded jointly through the Farm Advisory Service Animal Welfare Programme and also the Veterinary Advisory Service. So a big thanks to Scottish Government for their support. Hello and welcome to this Farm Advisory Service Livestock Podcast. Today we're focusing on sheep. I'm your host, Robert Ramsey, and I'm joined today by Fiona Crowden of SRUC Vet Services. So, hello, Fiona. Hello, Robert. Thank you very much for having me. No, no problem. How are things going today? Good, good. Um, yeah, things are winding up at the vet lab. Um, we're starting to get a few more abortion sheep abortion samples in. And yeah, starting to get a wee bit more busy, a bit of a spring, spring yeah. rush. Yeah, it's funny. I, I don't think I've ever spoken to any of the vets and they've been quiet. <laughs> that this time of year gets particularly busy. So, you know, what what does come into the vet lab and we're at kind of end of March time? What What is the routine day in the life of a veterinary investigation officer? So, yeah, very much, as you say, varies on, on what comes in. Um, we're still involved very off topic with um, wild bird avian flu surveillance, which, you know, if people have got some some um, birds on their farm they may well be aware of and we're getting a lot of positives with those at the moment. Um, just now with sheep we're getting the occasional kind of um, overwintered lamb in, we're getting abortion samples as, as kind of the bulk of folk come into lambing just now so we're getting a good number of abortion samples and then just the occasional thin you, ill you, um, increased mortality as well. A, the last podcast we had a Tim and Karen on and Tim had mentioned about a Schmallenberg has that become have you seen any more cases of that and and you know what what do we need to look out for if it, if we're worried about that so yeah we had one case quite early in the season um and Schmallenberg's one of these things because of the nature of the virus and the nature of the immunity to, that sheep and cattle have to the virus we expect to see little flare-ups every four to five years um and so we're kind of five years from the last big kind of Schmallenberg year so we're we've kind of got our finger on the pulse waiting to see what this does um but having had that one case we haven't had any more through our post-mortem rooms um so in sheep you tend to get these these lambs with with legs that are are fixed and bent they either don't bend they're fixed straight or fixed bent usually fixed bent you sometimes get twisted spines um and just kind of an abnormal posture you just get fused lambs really um so sruc is doing free testing so if you do think you have got a problem get in contact with your local vet and they will manage to take some samples hopefully both from the ewe and the the affected lamb um, and we can do some testing to see if that's what's going on there are things that can cause similar changes so just because you've got these the these typical looking lambs doesn't mean you've necessarily got Schmallenberg. Um, and equally, you can get one of these twisty lambs born alongside a, a completely normal lamb. Um, and that, that also can happen with Schmallenberg. And, and are these twisty lambs, are they, are they alive or are they dead? They're generally dead. They are generally yeah. stillborn. And you do you can sometimes see, um, you know, weakly born lambs associated with it as well. So, so just increased mortality. But it would be rare to see weakly born lambs in the complete absence of some of these twisty um, abnormal lambs. Yeah. And if we so we are doing free testing 
for suspected Schmallenberg. So regardless of what the outcome is, it's worth having a look at what these deformed lambs are. It's yeah. worth having a look at. Just in, any if case. nothing else, just in case it's not Schmallenberg, you've, you've assumed it's Schmallenberg and it's something else that we need to be aware of. Okay. And, and thankfully, hopefully it continues that you know, it's it's not going to be a, a massive problem, and, and we're going to have fields full of normal looking lambs. Absolutely, and life, life yeah, is good. Yeah, yeah. No, I think we there was concern with that one early case, but we haven't seen any more so far. So, mm. um, yeah, fingers crossed, it's not been a widespread problem. Yeah. So we've had a pretty across the country had a pretty kind winter. You know, we've had not too much rain, fairly mild. There's not been any major horror stories maybe I should see yet at that stage but, yeah. or at this stage but um, what, what's your feel on obviously I know you'll see um, maybe the, the worst end of things <laughs> routinely but are sheep in you know pretty good nick out there is, is the industry the sheep flock in general do you think are we in pretty good shape for lambing? I think so. I think so. I think, as always, you get the odd um, flock that's had a bother with increased barren rates, um, and we also, also always see a wee bit of a a blip and an increase in in calls about barren rates and phone calls and and those investigation samples going through. Um, but besides that, I think you know those those that are out there seem to have sheep in good nick, and and there's not a lot of reports of, you know, high mortality in the in the early lambing flocks anyway. So, it seems to be going well so far. And and what kind of weather? Certainly this week, um, yeah. end of March, great great weather to be turning using lambs out to a bite of grass. In some cases, you know, it's quite really quite exciting that the the job's okay at the moment anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the Barren rates. We've we've an interesting one in in Ayrshire this year. Certainly, there seems to have been a lot of good big scans for ewes. You know, everybody's most folk are pretty happy with how their ewes have scanned. There's a lot of people disappointed with their hogs. So their their ewe lambs that they've put to the tub. Is there any? Have you seen that coming through in vet lab investigations and things? Is there any reason why that would be the case? Um. Ah, it, that's really interesting because I don't think I've been aware of that as such. Most of our, our my or certainly my own barren um, chats have, have been affecting kind of whole flocks and age ranges within flocks. Um, I've not been aware of, of it being the kind of ewe lambs. Um, it was it is always challenging to get them grown on and get them prepared and, and be in their kind of target body weight to, to take the top. So, um I don't know what it was like down with you, whether there was a, a an issue with kind of late grass or, or something that might just have... It was um, probably, you know, it's almost the opposite. I think they were probably as strong as they've ever been. You know, it's almost as if they've been, could they have been too fat? Is that a possibility? Or, yeah. Um, I, I mean, it's fortunate as well that we've had a, that's coincided with a very expensive grass growing year and a very high price for um you know for for lambs so yeah. that's saving I mean, there's been a there's been a um some have sold and and done well out them and and others you know have, have held on to them and, and they'll do fine as gimmers i'm sure it's just it's an interesting one and, and one uh, if certainly if people are in that position it's not one to beat yourself up about it's um, yeah it's one of those things and and the hog really is a catch crop yeah. Anyway, and I you know. and I think you know if you're buying in your ewe lambs, they're coming onto your farm. They're they're meeting all the endemic bugs that you have on the farm for the first time. So if you're buying in and then mixing with your 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 ewes, there's there's certainly a good challenge for them to to meet all the the 
um, yeah. bugs that are on your farm. And, it, and yeah, if they do run a bit of a temperature, they are at risk of losing those early embryos um, mm-hmm. or a bit of stress. Just doesn't help matters. So. Mm-hmm. And of course, the thing, the, the other part of the fertility story is the is the ram as well. Yeah. To obviously, have pay special attention to if there's that that group that has potential fertility issues. Um, a subfertile top in, in any group's a disaster, but a subfertile top in that group particularly is a a massive problem. Yeah, it doesn't help the matter. No, not at all. Um, one thing, so we are I'm busy doing IAXs at the moment and it's great to see farmers back in the office and, and some something more like normal than we've had in the last couple of years but the one one oh, well the major story we're hearing or the um, question we're getting is what are we going to do about fertilizer about fuel about feed prices and inflation and there's certainly a lot of people out there are very you know rightly worried about where we are and the the discussion we're having a lot is about cutting costs and cutting things out and I do have a wee bit of a a concern I suppose about sheep systems particularly those pretty intensive sheep systems is are we right to be cutting costs or should we be optimizing you know pushing to get as much out of that flock as we can so if you have you any thoughts on that kind of management front you know what, what we should be pushing for or indeed some areas we could reduce costs as well yeah, I think just having as much efficiency within the system and having the best flock you can, you know, culling out your thin, thin ones and your underproducing ewes, selecting for fecundity, selecting for mother, mothering ability and just, I mean, it's a very long term thing and it's not something you're going to fix this year, but just always having an eye on how productive each individual sheep is within that flock you know can only help matters um and at the risk of of quoting a a sage old farmer um my my dad's favorite saying is you know if if times are tough don't let your farm know it you know don't cut too much don't stop um doing things that cost money just because because times are tough because you know you'll pay for it in the long term so and certainly on on this kind of whether you're pre-lambing, post-lambing, mid-lambing, wherever you are in the cycle, you nutrition is the is the linchpin really for the whole the, the rest of the year. And and I do have a, a fear that we cut too much out the system um, in a nutrition point of view, and and actually that compromises lamb growth rates, colostrum, everything down the line. As yeah, well. and then you're you, you're just losing your colostrum poor, your mortality will go up. Um, if your grass doesn't grow and you don't feed your ewes, your lambs won't grow and you'll end up feeding them at the back end. It all just knocks on. Um, so, Fiona, you mentioned a colostrum there and it was a, you know, an ideal way to get into this part of the conversation. The other thing, smaller issue, a big welfare issue, is the spectam and watery mouth story. So spectam has been withdrawn from, from the market. Um, what what are the what is the right approach for for people who are and I'm I'm conscious many people have been shed lambing inside lambing for a number of weeks now but um, spectam withdrawal what what should we be worried about and how do we how do we manage that best to to thrive without it? Um, it does as you say come back to colostrum quality for for a good lot making sure you've got good late 
um, gestation, nutrition, um, especially the protein side of things so that you get nice, good quality colostrum and then making sure you get that into your lambs in a timely fashion. Um, the other side of that is kind of just general shed hygiene um, and doing as much as you can where you can um, to minimise the risk. I think before they withdrew Spectam, the, the sales had pretty much halved in the UK, which did suggest that a good number of farmers had stopped using it and not had a disaster and been OK with that. Um, the sales had been dropping over the last few years. So I think there's there's certainly some solace to take from that, that, you know, it is possible. It's not necessarily going to be a disaster. And if you are starting to see cases of watery mouth, there are alternatives out there and you should get in touch with your vet because they probably have a plan B for for most flocks um, should they start to be getting cases. But I would be generally saying that, you know, we should be trying without it, see how you get on without it. And you might surprise yourself, you might get through the whole lambing and not need it. Um, and just, you know, especially if the weather stays good, I think there's, you know, there's less chance of things getting mucky and things in in sheep sheds yeah and and for me I, I really like looking at the whole system you know the individuals are really you know we are managing we're managing a whole flock but we're focusing on individuals at lambing time but if you've got a, if you're in a position where you know sheds maybe not ideal or we're lambing really early the the other option for for looking at inputs particularly like antibiotic spectam type issue is you know when are you lambing you know, can we can we actually alter when you're lambing and get to a point where either you're lambing and turning out straight away, or even maybe for some it doesn't suit everybody, but even lambing back going back to lambing outside, which the mother nature's got a great way of keeping things cleaner than we can in a in a shed. So it's it's a longer term. It's no use having that conversation to help this year's lamb lamb crop, but maybe for the next year or, or subsequent years. Um, looking at the whole system as, as a process worth worth doing and I, I would do that you know round the table with family members partners with the vet you know bounce ideas about and see if you can can make this into a better yeah. more resilient type system I think that comes with anything you know everybody should be sitting down at the end of lambing um and go right how was it what did we do right celebrate the things that really worked and really improved that year and then also what went wrong do we know why it went wrong? Can we change things for next year? And, and all that, all what you've said is absolutely part of that. Yeah. And I suppose to do that as well, records. So lambing, like, it's a strange time. We're just about to start lambing at home. So we're obviously, we're into that week where problems start. And uh, it's often, it's hard to remember the good stuff when the bad stuff's happening. It's hard to remember the bad stuff when the good stuff's happening. Is there, is, if you a simple way or an idea that we can, can basically have meaningful records on a commercial lambing system, not, we're not performance recording, we don't have loads of data, but what, what are the key things that we need to record to have a decent discussion with VET and partners to, you know, to make improvements for the following year? Yeah, that's a really interesting one. I think as simple a system as as works for you, um, there's no point having unworkable amounts of, of record keeping that you just can't keep up through the through the season um, and through the busy time and through the busy days because then then things become 
not meaningless, but, you know, if you haven't got accurate records. So, you know, chalkboard, pocketbook, tally marks where you can, um, using coloured tags and use ears. I'm sure everyone's doing that sort of thing already, but marking, you know, clearly marking use that have had a problem. Um, and if you can find a, a really simple system that, that works for you, um, you want to be recording mortality, probably your stillbirth level, your first um, 24 hours mortality rate and your first seven days mortality rate are probably really key indicators um, of, of what's going on in your lambing shed. Um, and yeah, longer term, you performance measures are, are possibly they're there where the harder work lies, but if you can come up with a simple solution, then then all the better. Yeah, it, we are seeing a lot of people. You know, it's great to see progress on farms. That's the best part of this job, actually, is seeing people and businesses develop. But um, it's interesting to see, you know, the power of a whiteboard with good information on it, or even the we've all, you know, most folk have a smartphone in their pocket. WhatsApp is an amazing tool for just recording photographs, numbers, messages, whatever. You know, that kind of team WhatsApp where everyone can put something wherever they are. If it's easy, it gets done. Yeah, um, absolutely. And, Keep it simple, and stupid. Worthwhile. I do think sometimes if my phone ever got stolen, I think someone would knock my door and give it back when you see some of the, <laughs> the uh, sheep and cow photos that are in it. But um, it's certainly a useful, a useful, simple tool of um, gathering gathering information. Um, so yeah, the, I think the other question at the moment is: so again, fit use, and we're heading into probably those kind of heading towards the first of April. Um, there's gonna be a lot of a lot more outside, you know, grass-based lambings starting. Um, what about the issue of prolapse? So there's a there's a lot of it seems to be an increasing issue with prolapse with grassier winters and, and fitter use. Is you condition the problem? It contributes, but it's not the whole problem. Um, there's there's certainly a little bit of genetic predisposition. Um, Obviously, if they're carrying triplets, um, higher numbers of fetuses, that predisposes them. Um, feeding of turnips in late gestation is known to be a risk factor. I think grazing on hilly ground, uh, which probably most folk can't do very much about, but it's, it's known to be a bit of a risk factor. Um, and also, um, overly short tails can sometimes nick um, muscles that, that can help with the with kind of keeping everything where it should be. So, yeah, just adequate tail length as well. So lots of things that can, can all come together to, to predispose a sheep to, to putting her bed out. Mm-hmm. And if she's done it this year, is she going to do it next year? <sighs> I probably wouldn't keep her because if, you know, you're if she's genetically predisposed to doing it, you don't really want to keep... Um, if you're retaining your own replacements, you don't want to keep replacements from her inadvertently. If you know if you're not got a uh, if you're not individually recording sheep. I mean, if she's got triplets one year and has a single the next year, she's probably not going to do it with the single that she did with the triplets. So, not inevitably, but I would still be thinking about putting a black mark against her her ear tag number for that one. Yeah, it's, I suppose it's the kind of job that it, it creates a lot of oh, work. work. Yeah. And and the risk of her doing it again, and and also I mean it's a, it's a 
it is a welfare problem. You know, yeah. there, there must be significant pain involved. And to put it back in is, you know, it's a it's a procedure and, and the risk of her doing it again probably means that she shouldn't be here. Yeah. There's obviously exceptions to that rule, but the the or she certainly shouldn't be back in Lamb. No, absolutely. You know, um, there's, there's too many risks all around and, and we're all, everyone's running larger, or most folk are running larger flocks with less labour and those type of jobs which happen they're going to be if you get through a lambing without a prolapse issue or something you're a very very lucky person um but we don't need to be making it worse than it needs to be so tail length again a nice lead in here as well so tail length um is obviously a man-made issue you know um we are routinely castrating and tail docking on most flocks um where are we at at the moment with castration and tail docking from a, a welfare perspective i think there's grumblings from from various people just with regards to welfare i don't think anyone that's put a rubber ring on on a tail or a, a scrotum can can argue it's a pain-free um experience for the lamb and i think there's certainly some European countries where it's just banned um, on welfare grounds. And I think we need to just have a little think about what we're doing. Um, can we get away with our management system without perhaps castrating? Do we need to tail dock? Is there anything we can do to, to reduce what we, what we do? Um, and if we are going to do it, let's do it as best we can as best you possibly can you know on your farm with your system um yeah because i think in most cases no it's the kind of you probably file under a necessary evil at the moment and if if it's done early and in a clean tidy as stress-free as it can be manner we can do the job pretty well you know, we can be, absolutely. You know, the the job is at the moment for a lot of systems uh, a management requirement, but longer term we do need to work. We should all be working towards minimising any of these mutilations, minimising. And again, from a from a labour perspective, you look at where the Easy Care guys are and where the Exlana guys are. They've, you know, they've got around that and they've developed systems that work without it and they're not for everybody they're not they're not going to be for everybody long term but um we all probably need to have a bit of a focus on how do we do less do it better um and and make it happen but i think i mean at this stage the message is let's do the best the best job we possibly can and get it done nice and early we shouldn't be doing um so I suppose yeah, when is obviously we don't want to be doing castrating wet lambs that are just born. When would be the the kind of target time? So yeah, I think as far as possible, let them get, let them get roaded, let them get a good belly full of colostrum. Um, twenty four hours at least, I would have said to to let them bond with with their mums, um, and get sufficient colostrum intake that they're not going to be knocked overly hard, um, by you doing something painful that's going to reduce their their suckling in the next you know number of hours while they have a wee sit down and and contemplate of their their woes so yeah i think 
as you say, not wet lambs, I'd say at least 24 hours old um, and as far as possible, um, you know, under seven days old. Um, and yeah, one stress at a time as far as you can. Um, so ideally don't tail them and chuck them out or tail them and move them um, and just, yeah. Yeah, be sensitive to it. But we also, I mean, on the Farm Advis- Farm Advisory Service website, there's a, a good video featuring Fiona Crowden uh, talking about lamb castration and, and new thoughts there and particularly looking at numb nuts and um, different systems to reduce the reduce the stress and reduce the pain associated with um, castration and tail docking. So interesting, interesting viewing. And I, and I think the, the take home message from all that is that we get it. You know, we're not trying to stop it. We're trying to um, do the best we can for, for, you know, the animal and for the, the system as well. So it's not, certainly not us saying a, we have to stop doing this, but it's more we're saying we have to get better at doing this. So looking at Fiona, those guys who've got a, or those producers who've got lamb and nearly finished lambs turned out, what's the focus at the moment? So what, how do we make sure we can wean, you know, maximise the, the kilos of lamb that we're weaning? If, you know, assuming lambing's over or, or coming to an end, what can we do from now on? Yeah, so I mean, the major things that are going to impact lamb weights, say in the first six weeks, are really the milkiness of your ewe, um, which comes back to, to having good quality feed in front of the ewe, be that grass and, and a bit of concentrate um, as required. And then just controlling parasitic challenge in the lambs. So that really um, comes down to your worm challenge and, and potentially coccidiosis as well. And the coxie thing's interesting because I know the coxin or other products for um, dealing with coxie, they are expensive. But is there a. Do you, do you think there's many cases where we don't need them? I think every farm is going to be different. And this is where it becomes really challenging to talk generally because every farm's got a different system and, and they're getting turned out onto to different conditions and being kept in sheds and, and meeting. Um, coxie at different rates but as a general rule the problem or clinical signs with coxie happen when the um, lambs meet a large number of oocysts which are what you call coxie eggs basically um, all of a sudden so they're excreted by the ewes all of the time and the ewes are resistant they're absolutely fine chucking out these these coccyusus into the the environment um and if the lambs meet them at a quiet gradual rate they they get their own resistance really quickly um as long as they don't get a big challenge of them if they all of a sudden get a really big challenge of of you know several thousand oocysts in a day and that quite often happens in in sheds and intensive environments or small fields or you know if if you've got a field that every lamb passes through um quite in early life sometimes the, the challenge can be really quite big there they meet a big old challenge um when they're picking at the straw in a shed or picking at grass um that that's when you get disease so if you can avoid that sort of situation exposing your lambs to those sorts of situations then um that's yeah that's how you manage them a little bit without drugs and and can we find out we get coxie back as part of a fecal egg count do we you do yes 
Yeah. Um, so this probably looking at cost and looking at production, focusing on production this year, surely this is a year for faecal egg counts. Yeah, when we talk, think about coxie, coxie can be really challenging because if we if we focus on coxie just for the moment in faecal egg counts, um, depending on the lamb's level of immunity, depending on the percentage of pathogenic coxie, so we've got a whole heap of coxie that are not pathogenic but are still producing eggs. So you can potentially have a, a coxie count, say, off the top of my head, of, of 5,000 oocysts per gram. And if that's all pathogenic, um, species of coxie, that's a significant worry and those lambs are likely to be really quite ill. You can equally have a count of 5,000 that is not pathogenic and those lambs will be fine. Or those lambs have met that coxie in such a gradual way that even if they are pathogenic, they're not causing a huge amount of problem to that lamb. So coxieosis counts are really challenging to interpret. And actually, it comes back to stockmanship, looking at them. You know, they look like they've got coxie in support of a high coxie count. That is probably coxie. And the, the challenge is you can get coxie and worm counts because of the age of the lamb increasing at the same time. And you can have concurrent disease. You can have lambs with both coxie and worms in these later lambing um, flocks. And what does that, just to confirm it, what does that lamb with coxie, what what do we expect? Um, they tend to be scouring. They strain a little bit more with coxie, so you tend to see them straining. You sometimes get bloody scour. Um, but it is that, that age, about kind of six weeks when they're starting to, to eat a little bit more lamb, four to six weeks, sometimes a wee bit younger, depending on what they're doing, um, when they're ingesting more of, of what's in their environment. Um, and picking up more assists. Yeah, and black scour would that be a telltale sign, or is that common in many? Um, um, many issues? Yes, but just it's it's not pathognomonic, if that makes sense. So yes, black scour would increase your index of suspicion. Um, but I think you need you need a little bit of lab work and a little bit of um, stockmanship just to, to, to help. I think either in isolation can be really challenging. Um and it's not it wouldn't be the first time that the advice that's that's come from us here, maybe worm them if they're still scaring, go back in with a coccidiostat. It's it's probably the worms that's causing the problem. We don't just quite know. Um and we can speciate, we can look at take the cox coccidia and um, speciate them and tell you what percentage of pathogenic versus non pathogenic. But in sheep um we have to let these um, oocysts hatch in order to speciate. So you're a good week before we turn around that result, pretty much between taking the sample and, and getting that result. So it's sometimes just not fast enough um, for for to be useful, really. Yeah. So really, it's another example. And I think we've said it dozens of times in this podcast, but it's really about having meaningful conversations with vets and trusted people round about you. Yeah. And and taking advice on the hoof as to where we go with coxie and, and with the wider worm issue as well. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, yeah, when it comes to worms, we're obviously thinking early in the season, we're thinking about nematodirus. And we're going to have to keep a little eye out um, from when that hatch is happening. Um, could be quite early if the weather stays like this um, and might not cause much of a problem to the later lambing flocks. Um, so, yeah, it'll be interesting to see where, where 
the hatch happens and, and how much of a risk that is to, to these flocks. And then, of course, the usual um, strong guile worms or telodosargia, um, yeah, causing that challenge just in the early grazing period. Yeah. And the other one is a liver fluke. And again, I'm, I'm conscious of my Western bias towards <laughs> liver fluke, but a, certainly a, a common issue in this part of the world. Um, different year, much lower rainfall, a, certainly less reports of fluke issues. Um, that marking time dose or that, that um, you know, maybe May time dose to clear the system or, or to try and break the cycle, are you still thinking that's the... Is that the approach for this year as well? I think that's really, it's really hard to predict because, it, as you say, it, it's very different in um, in every flock and every, and the risk to every flock is very much local weather, um, the field, local field conditions. Um, and yeah, I think that's a discussion you have with you, with your, your local vet as to, to what the risk's doing. Yeah. And I think, again, as I said before, the, the take-home message from this is please do speak to your vet. Yeah, our vets love to be involved. And the more involved you make your vet, the more involved they will become. Um, yeah. You know, just human nature is if somebody's interested, you get interest back, I think. And if they do happen to find something really interesting, you then get to speak to your local SRUC conservative <laughs> vet who gets really enthusiastic about things. So, we, we get a bit overexcited about things, yes. Yeah. No, it's good. It's great to have that <laughs> level of support there. So, yeah, hopefully that's been useful for everybody. I've certainly thoroughly enjoyed a, a bit of chat with you, Fiona, today. It's been good. Um, and certainly I hope everybody gets on and uh, has a successful lambing and, and sheep season in front of them. It's, it's very easy at the moment to dwell on all the negatives, on fertiliser prices, on uh, fuel prices. But we also need to keep in mind that the sheep, the sheep job has been pretty good the last 12 months and and has potential to do really well this year as well so i think it's take time invest in um in being optimistic you know the the, the job's going to be good and also um do try and be positive and and keep chins up keep heads up and uh, we'll, we'll certainly see the other side of all this inflation and dramas at the moment so i think there's nothing that that warms the heart more of, of even the most hardened of farmers leaning on the gate in the sunshine looking at a park full of lambs running up and down the fence side i think that's you know what i wish for everybody out there yeah when it's going well it's the best job in the world absolutely